Thank you, Gigi. Well, as you can see, Thomas is out today. Him and his wonderful wife got away for the weekend. And we got Gigi. <laughs> she, she does the worship for the kids in the back back there. So now you know what your kids are singing with back there. Uh, they are truly blessed. And so... Last week we started the book of Romans. I tried to give you as much background as I possibly could to give you a history uh, of, of where we're getting into. And I give you all this history probably because I love it. I love the history of, of getting into a new book and finding out all about it before we get into it and dig into it. I think it's always good to get as much background as possible to better understand what is written. It, it tends to give us, or those who are, who are studying it, and those who are going through it, a better perspective of what's ahead. And I encourage you always, if we are in the book of Romans, read the book of Romans this week, throughout the month, whenever you want. So you know where we're going. As I told you last week, we'll probably be in it for at least a year. And, and so that's where we're going to live. Get to know the book of Romans. And so I want to encourage you in that to get a better perspective. I was thinking the other day of how important the placements of the books of the Bible are. And in, in especially what we've just come out of, the book of Acts. I think it's important that the book of Acts is right in between the four Gospels and leading into the letters of Paul, because if we did not have the book of Acts, we'd be wondering, who is this cat Paul? I never heard him hanging around with Jesus. And how is it that he's talking to a people in, in Rome? How, when did the gospel get to Rome? That's why the book of Acts is so important in its placement. And I think also the placement of the book of Romans is perfect in that, again, we just finished the book of, of Acts and Paul has now reached Rome. Now, the time of Paul writing to the Romans in this time, and by the time he reached it, was about three or four years. So there was a little time when he wrote it, and by the time he got there. So, Romans chapter 1, we'll cover 17, or the first, well, we covered four verses last week. We'll pick up in, chapter, in verse 5, and we'll go through verse 17, but let's start off in verse 1. It says, Paul, a bondservant of of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God by the power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead." Verse 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also were the called of Christ Jesus. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. 
that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means... Now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the both to wise and to unwise, so so, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is a power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greeks, the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Holy Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word, Lord. Thank you that we do have this opportunity to open up your word, to expound on your word, Lord. And I pray for wisdom on my part as I relay this message that you've laid on my heart. I pray for my brothers, my sisters who are here this morning, Lord God, those who are watching online right now as well, Lord God. I pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would reach us and touch us, that we would have ears to hear for what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So let's go back to verse 5 and begin our text this morning. Paul understood and he always acknowledged that it, is, that it was through Jesus and because of Jesus that he did or got to do anything for God. He understood that it wasn't his own power. Paul was a very intelligent man. He was a very respected man in so many ways, even in the Gentile, not the Gentile world, but, but in his old life. But now that he is in, in the faith and he's been walking with the Lord for quite some time, he has gained the respect of many as well. But he understood something, that it wasn't him. <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit in him that he was able to do all these things. He knew where his authority came from and who called him and who sent him. He was not his own man. He understood that. We covered that last week. He belonged to another. He willfully belonged to another in that he made himself a servant of Jesus Christ. He became a bondservant of Christ. Paul knew what it meant to do things on his own. He followed his own ambitions and desires for many, many years, and he was really, really good at doing that, all the while thinking that he was doing the will of God, but only deceiving himself. 
He says this to his protege, Timothy, towards the end of his life. He says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was a former blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent man, I have... I, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. He would acknowledge that time and time again throughout his ministry, that it wasn't him, it was the Lord working in him. And he praised the Lord and thanked the Lord that it was now his Holy Spirit, the Lord's Holy Spirit in him that was allowing to do all these things. When he was doing, out, doing it on his own, I love the fact that he just mentions, I did it ignorantly. I really didn't know the truth. I thought I knew the truth, but I didn't know the truth. And I think oftentimes, as, as people, people have their own little truths, don't they? And they think they're doing good, and they're helping society or helping families, and all the while they're just deceiving themselves because they're lying to themselves. And I think once we understood, those of you who are believers today, once you understood that you, have, you kept on jacking things up in your life, thinking that you were doing good, when you finally understood that it was the Holy Spirit that was really important, that the cross, as we were singing about, is what really helps us understand, then all of a sudden your perspective changes and you realize, I was deceiving myself the whole time and the truth that I thought I had was not based on the truth of who Jesus is. And, and, and so he says, through him I have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Grace, he understood, grace opened the door for obedience, and obedience is always hand in hand with faith. They go hand in hand. They make a lovely couple, they truly do. <laughs> obedience and faith. It's hard to imagine one without the other. When there is obedience and faith, it kind of intertwines together. Grace, obedience, and faith allowed Paul to go and fulfill his calling. He was called to be an apostle. And grace... obedience and faith drove him to all the nations. Everywhere he went, it was because of this grace that caused him to obey, that caused the faith in his life, drove him to every place he possibly could go, and Rome was no exception. He wanted to go to them. He had a desire, a deep desire, to be with them. Paul wanted to preach the gospel of grace to them to the brothers and sisters in Rome. Not that they didn't understand grace, 
but he wanted to go and, and experience it with them, but share it with them so that they would grow in this grace. I think a lot of times before Paul got to some places, they, uh, they kind of understood they don't deserve this, but God was giving it to them. But now they're going to have this living example of what grace truly looks like in a man who thought he had it all together and realized he had nothing at all. And yet he would come in and, and exude grace, if you will. And so he, he would come to, to help them grow in grace so that their obedience and their faith may flourish. I, I don't know if you were, you were ever in a position where you, you had come to Christ, you understood certain things, but somebody came into your life whether you started going to a church or you started going somewhere and, and somebody kind of helped you understand a little better. That's the Romans. They were saved and there was teachers there, but there was a guy like the name of like Paul who would show up and truly just exude that and you're going, man, there's something different I knew, but I really didn't know as much as I should know. <laughs> and, they, and they just flourished. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to go and be with them. And he says, um, among whom, in verse 6, among whom you also were called, were the called of Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved or beloved of God, called to be saints. Paul wanted the Roman believer the believers, to know that they also were called. They were also the called. Maybe not to be apostles like him, but to walk worthy of the calling with which they have been called. It comes from Ephesians 4.1. That they would walk worthy of the calling with which they were called. You see, if they understood grace, then obedience and faith would, would, be, would, would be close behind them. It, it, it would be right next to them. It would, it would help them to fulfill their calling with which they had been called. And I think the same is true for today. If we understand grace, now this morning I'm not going to go into the depths of grace, but just simply put, grace is God's unmerited favor towards you. You don't deserve it. But He gives it to you anyways. There's so much that is attached to that. And I'm sure we'll get into deeper times of explaining grace. But if we understand grace, and, and you know what it means in your life, then I could guarantee you this. Your obedience and your faith will follow because you're understanding grace. And I think oftentimes when people are not obedient and their faith is not flourishing is because they truly don't understand what grace really means in your life. Because when you understand what grace truly means, you almost want to go, what else can I do, Lord? Why? Why would you pour it on? How do, how do I surrender more of my life to you? And then you just walk in that. And so, again, when we understand what grace truly looks like, Paul had it right, even in his introduction in verse 1, 
before he was ever separated for the gospel, before he was ever called to be an apostle, he understood that he was now a bondservant of Christ. He had no right to be called the bondservant of Christ. He fought against it. And then he, when he finally surrendered to it, he realized the grace that was attached to being a servant. He understood I don't deserve this because I went after you. Again, we, we covered it in Acts when Jesus, when he shared his testimony and Jesus would say, why are you persecuting me? And I'm sure Paul's going, never even met you, bro. You're persecuting my church. You're persecuting my people, my body. So he understood what grace looked like because he surrendered to that and became a servant, a bondservant of Christ. First and foremost, we are the called of Christ. He bought us. He called us out. He separated us to Himself. He, to serve Him, to be called His saints. The word called and we saw that last week, and we see it again this week. Paul was called to be an apostle. We are the called. We are called to be saints. That word called means invited, i.e. appointed, or specifically a saint. Invited by God in the proclamation of the gospel to obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God through Christ, according to Romans 8.28 called to the discharge of some office according to Romans 1. 1, as we saw last week. Called to be saints. That word saint comes from the word sanctified. One who is set apart. I think oftentimes we have the mindset of a saint is someone who is dead. Well, we have dead saints, we do. But a saint is alive. Someone who is set apart. Someone who has been called to serve Christ. For, he has set us apart for God to firmly place us in His possession and, in, and for His service. That's what a saint is. I heard a pastor a long time ago, it's like, you are either a saint or you ain't. There's, there's no in-between. You are or you're, or you're not. And a saint is one who is alive that is separated from the world and for God. And he says in, in verse 7, Grace to you and peace from, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have another lovely couple here, grace and peace. Grace and peace is offered to all. But only the beloved of God, the beloved of God, those who are called to be saints can truly understand, live, walk, and experience the true grace and peace of God. Verse 8 says, first, I want to thank, or first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. 
that your faith has been is spoken of throughout the world. Paul, Paul must have had this, this long prayer list. <laughs> A long prayer list, I guess to say the least, because he was always praying for people. Because he says this in just about every one of his letters, that he was praying for them. That he was praying for them, and them, and them, and them. And, and it's like, man, Paul was a guy who, who was thankful. He, he was grateful, and he was full of gratitude for the people that were in his life. For all the saints, I truly believe he was always tr- thankful. He never forgot, because again, of his past and what he had done to the saints of old, or, or who... who whom he had persecuted, I think he was truly thankful that now he was counted among them. And he never forgot that. He understood, and I'm sure they did too, that that he is is reiterating to them that it is through Christ that he he has the ability to come before the throne of God, before the Father. To give thanks for them. Paul had never been to Rome. But he did, quote, he did know quite a bit of the people from there. And we gather that from the last chapter of Romans. Because he mentions all these people who were from Rome. So he crossed paths with so many of them. But he didn't really know them all. And yet, he tells us that he was thankful for every last one of them. He says, your faith is spoken, is spoken of throughout the whole world. Those who were called to be saints in Rome, their faith, these simple people, their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world, throughout the known world at the time, the Roman Empire. So because all roads led to Rome, all, all roads led out of Rome. And there was a lot of people coming and going. And because of that, people were, were hearing about these believers in Rome. I think it's fascinating, again, they weren't a major population. They were a small group, a small sect. And yet Paul says, people are talking about you guys. Rome is huge. People are coming through all the time. They're coming and going from them. And I'm hearing in my travels, wherever I'm at, about you over in Rome. And maybe that's why he wanted to go. It's like, who are these guys? But he heard about their faith. Now, it doesn't mean that everything that he heard was good. (laughs) It could very well be that within the church community... The Christian community, they were well spoken of. But because Paul often was around people that weren't part of the church community, it's quite possibly possible that outside the church community, they may have not talked well about them all the time, but they talked about the changes in these people. That there was something different about them. I don't agree with them. I don't, I don't follow their God. I don't do any of that. But there's something different about them whether they liked them or not whether they agreed with them or not people were talking now i would prefer if anybody talks about calvary chapel that they would talk about it good (laughs) 
peeps. I'm putting it on you. <laughs> but that people would hear, it's like, okay, I don't go there. I've never been there. I'll never go there. But there's something different about them. I don't agree with their philosophy or their religion or whatever. But they're different. A good different. <laughs> But again, that, that, that if that's going to happen, that people would at least say, well, I don't agree, but they're nice people. You know, again, maybe they felt, oh, I'm not ready for that. But they would say there's something different about them. And, and so when he's saying about them that he's praying for them, he says, for God is my witness in verse 9. Paul was not one that seemed to be praying in public all the time to be seen of men. I'm not saying that he didn't pray out loud or in public, but he, was not, he never did that to be showy like the Pharisees, as, as we've read before. And so I think that's why he calls God as his witness, because God was truly the only one that knew and could testify about his prayer life. I, I, I don't think Paul ever meant in any way to be showy, especially in his prayers. I think it was just mostly between him and the Lord that, had, that he had this secret place. And it was just him, him and God, and he would always pray for people. Always, being, always lifting people up. And I think it's such a blessing that we have that opportunity to be able to pray for people. And I think oftentimes, whether they know that you're praying for them or not, I find it fascinating that when you're praying for someone else, that especially by name, that you're lifting up somebody's name into the ears of God, into the very throne room of grace. And oftentimes when I've told people, hey man, I've just been praying for you, just understand, your name has been mentioned in heaven. I think it does something to people's hearts to go, really? You, you, you spoke my name to, to the God of heaven? <laughs> I think it, it, it transforms people's lives of going, wow, I've never thought of it that way. But guys, when you're praying, he hears your voice. He knows your voice. When you're praying for other people, he knows who they are. He's intimate with all of that, whether they're believers or not. That, that, that we get to lift people up by name and even by church or, or community or, or state, as, as we were praying earlier. We're praying. Lord, we're lifting these people up. Some know you, some don't. But we're putting them in the heavenlies so you know they are on our hearts. Sometimes we don't agree with them, but they're on our hearts. And we're praying that they would agree with you, not with me, but with you. That's the way we should be praying, Lord, your will, not my will. Although my will sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> he says, I'm, I'm making requests if by some means, verse 10 now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul was not only praying for those believers in Rome or, or for Rome itself. He wasn't just praying for them, but he was also praying for himself. 
And I like that. He was praying for himself that he might be able to go to Rome. Again, I know sometimes it's like, oh, I don't want to be that selfish and pray for myself. It's like, no, you can lift yourself up and like, Lord, here I am. You know what I want to do in my life right now. Again, Paul is writing this, but it's not going to happen for a while. But it doesn't stop him from praying for what his desire is. And so he's not just praying for those in Rome, but he's praying that, Lord, I want to go there. I want to be there. If it is your will, I want it to, to happen. And one of the things, again, that struck me is that Paul says, now at last that I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. The first time we hear Paul mention Rome was back in, in Acts chapter 19 when, when he said that he had this desire to go to Rome. From that point in, 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 in uh, Acts 19, it would be six years later that he would be in Rome. And, and like I shared, from the writing of this time that he is writing this, it would still be another three to four years. As Paul was finding his way in the will of God to come to them. I'm sure he was praying, Lord, I just want to be there. I want to go there. I, I could imagine he's... He's picturing his voyage a little different than what it went like. Some of you guys were here. <laughs> Oftentimes, God's will and our will don't look exactly the same. Because I think oftentimes when we're praying for God's will, we want it easy. And God wants it best. Because when it's easy, and I love easy, don't get me wrong. I love easy. But I want God's best. And I think when we're praying in that way, sometimes God's best, well, it has a lot of trials involved in it. And you're probably going like, Lord, it would be easier if you just got me skirted around the trials. He says, no, you're not going to learn my will unless I take you through the trial. And so as he's praying for God's will, his desire was, go, was to go to to Rome, but his desire first was to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> and it would be in Jerusalem that he would be arrested. He would be tried. They would seek to kill him. He was moved to Caesarea. Once he gets to Caesarea, it would, he would be in prison for two years. Stand trial. And eventually go on a cargo ship. Not a luxury liner. A cargo ship to Rome. Oh yeah, and there was a shipwreck along the way. All the while, Paul was finding God's will. He had opportunity upon opportunity to preach the gospel. And he never backed down, even in the midst of that journey <laughs> to Jerusalem and all that happened to get to Rome. He had opportunity upon opportunity to preach the gospel. And guess what? He never backed down. He never stopped. He never said, I don't think this is God's will after me, after all, for me to go to Rome. I, it's just never going to happen. And I think oftentimes when we're praying, Lord, I want your will, he says, man, I want it more than you do. And I'm going to get you there. But it's going to take longer than you think. 
and it won't be as, it won't be smooth sailing, let's just put it that way, but I will get you there. Nothing will stop me from getting you to Rome because I've already promised that I would get you there. This desire that Paul had was of the Lord. And God confirmed it to him when he was sitting in jail, when he says, you must also bear witness at Rome, back in Acts 23. In verse 11, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Even though he had never known a lot of the people in, in Rome, he knew few of the people by and large. He was saying to a people that he really didn't know, I really want to be there with you. I long to see you. Because they had something in common, and that commonality was being stirred up in him. This longing that Paul has to see these people is defined as a yearning, a craving. And it denotes and indicates a lust, this, this longing. But it's not a bad way of, of lust. Because he, he wants to go there and impart some spiritual gift to them to strengthen and establish them. The word spiritual means non-carnal, non-fleshly, non-physical. And, and, and so it was a longing that was pure. And he wanted to impart to them a gift. Not gifts plural, but singular, a gift. And the word for gift in the Greek is charisma. But it's not the word that we think of when we think of charisma, because oftentimes with charisma, we think charm, appeal, personality. No, it's not that. It comes from the Greek word charis. And the Greek word charis means grace. And he wanted to establish them in this gift of grace. That is, he says, in verse 12, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. Paul didn't have the market on grace. But he understood it enough to understand that he didn't deserve any of this. But he had seen grace in action, not only in his own life, but he had seen grace in action in other people's lives. And he knew what that meant going to Rome, that he would express that gift of grace to them as well. You see, Paul also knew this, that as he gave out grace, as he poured out grace, he himself would benefit from that grace that was poured out because he would receive grace in return. 
Is it selfish of us to want grace? Absolutely not. We, we want grace. We don't deserve it. In my office, I have grace upon grace. And if I had a bigger wall, it would be grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And, and, and to infinity, I love grace. Because I know I don't deserve any of it, and I can't win it, and I can't make it happen. He saw it in other people's lives. And so the more he gave out, the more he received. There would be this mutual strengthening that would go on because they both had this mutual faith. I like that about Paul. That even though he was an apostle, and I'm sure the people wanted to be around him and get to know him because of who he was, he didn't see himself any different than the rest of the brothers and sisters he was writing to, to the believers. He didn't think of himself more highly than he ought to. He'll tell them that a little later in this book. Again, I don't think Paul had the market on faith. His faith wasn't any more special than anybody else's faith. It was a mutual faith. Paul needed encouragement just like anybody else. It doesn't matter your standing in the church, what your position may be that you hold. Encouragement goes both ways because of a mutual faith. And he says that I often, now I want you to know that I want you not to, uh, now I want you to be, I don't want you to be. <laughs> I feel bad for second service if I'm having this much trouble. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. Paul wanted them to understand his lack of, of coming to them was not because he, he didn't want to be there. He longed for them, as we learned. But he was hindered. He was hindered from going and being there. Now, I don't believe that this hindrance that he's talking about was from Satan. As he told the, the, the Thessalonians that he had been hindered. Because you see, not all hindrances are from the enemy. Paul had been seeking the will of the Lord and he was doing the will of the Lord. And yet, it was just a matter of timing. And I think oftentimes, when it's not happening in our timing, we think the enemy is involved. And it's not always that way. Sometimes, he guides us by hindrances. He has us do other things because of hindrances in our lives. I don't think that we should ever give the enemy any more credit than he deserves, that he is the one that's hindering us. Oh, don't get me wrong, Satan loves to hinder the work of God. But Satan can only hinder. That's it. Which means that he could only impede, obstruct, hamper, slow down, or delay. It's more of an obstacle. That's the only thing he has. God is the only one that opens doors and shuts doors. He can't. He doesn't have the key for that. And so whenever Satan does hinder, 
We could always get, get around it, jump over it, move it. We can do all of that. He doesn't have the power to close the door that God wants open. And he does not have the power to open the door that God wants closed. And we need to understand that because we give that cat too much credit. And he doesn't deserve that credit. He could only slow things down. That I might have some fruit from you as well, Paul, Paul is saying. You would think that Paul had enough fruit in his life with all the ministry that he had been in. That he would be satisfied with all the ministry that he has been able to, to, to be a part of. But he wanted fruit in Rome. Not only the fruit that would result from pouring into the believers who were called to be saints, but the fruit that would come from other people coming to know Christ as well because of his ministry there. And I don't think this is selfish to want more fruit. John 15 tells us that we may bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit, that we would want as much stinking fruit as we can get. Because again, we are, we are proclaiming the gospel. Because we're taking the seed out. Again, fruit, all it, all, it, all it is, it protects the seed that's inside the fruit. That's all fruit. I want more fruit so I can spread more seed. That's what Paul wanted to do. I think and I truly believe that he just wanted to be in the middle of everything God had for him. And I think sometimes we, we, we are satisfied with not having fruit in our life because we don't want to, to jump in. Paul wanted to be in the middle of whatever God was doing. And I don't know where you're at with that. I, I'm the type, I don't want to miss out. My wife tells me, you don't want to miss out on anything. It's like, I don't. That's why I keep myself busy in people's lives. Okay, I'm not a busy body. <laughs> That's not, that didn't sound great. But I want to be in people's lives because if God's doing a work in your life, I want a part of that. I want, I want to see the fruit of that. I want part of that fruit as well. If God can use me in any way, shape, or form, I'm going to put myself out there. I, I think oftentimes people are going, nah, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. And yet there is no fruit in people's lives because I'm good. I don't need no more fruit. Paul, again, when we look at this guy's example, is like, Paul, aren't you like filled with fruit? No, I want to go to Rome. I want that fruit as well. I want as much fruit as I possibly can. He understood what that meant. He didn't want to miss out. That we would desire not to miss out in what God has for us. Whatever that looks like. It doesn't mean spectacular. It just means simple in people's lives. In your life and in other people's lives. In your family, with your friends, however it looks. Your co-workers. Lord, I just want to be a part of it. Paul says, I am a debtor. I am a debtor, in verse 14, both to the Greek and to the barbarians, both to wise and the unwise. He felt like he was indebted to all people, not just some, to all people. And he had this, this obligation 
to proclaim the gospel of grace. Why? Because he understood what grace looked like in his life. And he was called to expound on that to all mankind. You see, Paul was not satisfied until he was totally spent. In other words, Paul never wanted to leave anything in the tank at the end of the day. He wanted, as, he wanted it as empty as possible. You know why? Because he knew that God would fill it for the next morning. God would fill it. He didn't have to strive to be filled the next morning. He already knew, I've been pouring it out, and God, you better fill me up because I'm going to go pour it out tomorrow, and I'm not going with a half a tank. I want a full tank. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I have this stuff in my mouth. One of the brothers gave me some grapes this morning. It's like, I... <laughs> Thanks, Harry. <laughs> I just feel like you guys are going, what the heck's wrong with his mouth? <laughs> now you know, man, if something comes flying out, it's like it was up in my teeth somewhere, man. Ah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't want to put it in the freezer. Anyways, be, be that there were frozen grapes. Anyways. So, <laughs> he didn't want to leave anything in the tank. I think some of us are satisfied to leave something in the tank. And we miss out. He says both to the Greeks and the barbarians. You see, the Greeks considered any, any non-Greek as a barbarian. And they saw themselves as wise and everybody else as fools or foolish. If they didn't understand the language, it was all Greek to them. <laughs> Actually, it sounded more like barbar to them because the Greek word for barbarian is barbaos. <laughs> so it just, that's, they came up as like, it sounds like barbar. But verse 15, as we're getting close to finishing here, it says, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. As much as is in me. On his part, as far as he was concerned, he was all in. All day. Every day. 24-7. 365 days a year. He was all in. He was ready. He says, I am ready. Now, there are two different Greek words that are translated ready especially in the old King James. One means prepared. I am prepared. As in Acts 21, 23, when Paul says, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The other word for ready is here in verse 15, and it means eager. With a ready mind. You see, Paul in, in Acts 21 was not eager to die, but he was prepared to die. Here, he is eager. He is so eager to get over there and share the gospel to minister to the believers and even to the non-believers. He, he didn't have this eagerness to go sightsee in Rome, which would have probably been amazing, but he had an eagerness to go and minister to the saints and to win souls. 
He was eager for that. He was ready for that. And what a testimony we have here of Paul as we finish up. First, he says, I am a debtor to all men. And then he says, I am ready to preach the gospel in Rome. And he finishes by saying, and I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, why in the world would Paul be even tempted to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ as he is contemplating this trip to Rome? For one thing, the gospel was identified with a poor Jewish carpenter who had been crucified. The Romans had no special affection for the Jews in the first place. And crucifixion? The Romans invented that. It was like the lowest form of execution. It was a shame to be crucified. So why would anybody put their faith in a Jew who had been crucified? And Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of that. Another thing, Rome was a very proud city. And the gospel had come from Jerusalem. A capital city of a little nation that they had conquered. They had nothing going for them. And so Paul, his writing, says, I'm not ashamed. The Christians, they weren't a large sect. They were a small little group of people. They weren't among the elites in society. They were common people and even slaves. No, Rome was known for its great philosophers and philosophies. Why pay attention to a fable in their estimation of a Jew who they say rose from the dead. <laughs> the Romans looked down on these people. Christians thought of each other as brothers and sisters, all one in Christ, where, where again, Rome was so proud of, of, of all that they were and their individualities. They were very proud people and dignified in their estimation. But Paul was not ashamed of any of that. He knew what the message meant. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 to verse 25. You don't have to. You can write it down on your notes. 1 Corinthians chapter, 18, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. For the message of the gospel, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, the disputer of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews requested a sign and Greeks seeked after wisdom. But we preach Christ, 
crucified. To the Jew, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Again, he is writing to the Romans from, from Corinth. And so again, he understands what's going on. And so for him, there is no shame. Paul was not ashamed to preach the gospel because he understood the power, the dynamic power, that dunamis power that came from the gospel. Why? Because it would bring about salvation. It had the power to save. It's crazy that this book, what is written in this book, is able to change all of eternity for you and for me and for anyone else who believes in, in the words that are written in here. Rome had all the power, but, it, it, but their power was no match to the gospel. The Roman Empire would eventually collapse, but the power of God, through the power of the gospel, it is still mighty to save today. To the Jews first, and also to the Greeks. It was and still is for all men. But the gospel came to the, the Jews first, but it also reached to the Greeks or the Gentiles. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, which is the good news, and it is received by faith. Because we cannot, in our own righteousness, stand before God. It is the righteous, it is the righteous God himself who has declared us righteous. And he won't compromise on that righteousness even when he gives it to us. He hasn't compromised it not one bit. He declares the guilty not guilty because his son took all the guilt. It is the power of the gospel that, that, that does that. And, and it just seems so inconceivable to try to understand that. That's why it is from faith to faith. In other words, springs from faith and leads to faith. Because it says at the end here, for the just shall live by faith. A quote from Habakkuk. It's mentioned three times in the, in the New Testament. Here it deals with the just. Galatians 3.11 deals with shall live. And Hebrews 10.38 deals by faith. With the, by faith. The just are the righteous who stand before God. And it is only through faith that we can stand before God. Let me read 15, 16, and 17 through the Amplified, and we're done. It says, So, for my, for my part, I am willing and eager, ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ, for it is the power of uh, of God's power working unto salvation for deliverance from eternal death to everyone who believes with a personal trust, a confident surrendered, a firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in the, right, the gospel a righteousness which God ascribes is revealed, both springing from and leading to faith, 
disclosed through the way of faith that arouses to more faith. As it is written, the man who through faith is just and upright shall live and shall live by faith. And so if you are called to be a saint, then walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Amen? Amen. Father, we bless you and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for your precious, precious promises that you have given to us, Lord. Father, the depths that we have just covered once again, Lord God, help us in our understanding. Lord, to make it as simple as possible, Lord God, but also that it would do something in us to want more, to dig even further, Lord of who you are and why. Lord, we bless you and we thank you for the many blessings that you've already taught us through the book of Romans, Lord God. I'm so excited to teach it. And I pray for wisdom in teaching it to my brothers and sisters, Lord God. I pray that as we grow together through the, through the, 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 the book of Romans, Lord, that you would just draw us closer to you, to one another, and that we would go and reach our community and the world around us, Lord. That we would not be ashamed of anything that has to do with you, Lord. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's.